This is the Sportable Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome. This is the Sportable Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Sloan. Um, I am here with Howard Humphreys, who is one of our longtime athletes, been around for longer than most of the staff. Um, well, not most of the staff, all the staff, which is even better. Um, so basically, we are just going to get right into it. And yeah, Howard, if you want, you can just introduce yourself. Um, I don't know if you prefer Howard or Bo or well, whichever I, one you prefer. Um, I guess I get, I, I'll answer to both of them, whichever way somebody knows me. Um, yeah, that was so, so funny because I've known you, I probably knew you for like four years and somebody else called you Bo and I'm like, who's Bo? And it's like Howard. And it's like, okay, great. Good. Well, that <laughs> typically I've... that started with Alicia when she was there. She, uh, she found out my, that, um, from an outside source that my name was Bo and she's like, why, why don't you let any, all of us call you that? And, um, <laughs> And I was like, well, I just, I just always gone by Howard around here. So I, I didn't want to introduce another name. And she goes, why? We aren't your friends. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's when that is so funny. came out. Oh, man. So Alicia got some good intel. And now we get to call you Bo sometimes. That's, that's great. Right. Um, well, what do you do outside of Sportable, Howard? Um, well, I still work. Um, Although that's going to probably come to an end here pretty soon. I'm a civil engineer, um, which is a job I had prior to when I got hurt in 1997. And um, I was lucky enough to have a job that I could go back after being hurt and uh, resume working uh, again. For sure. So just for context, uh, how you don't have to say how old you are, but roughly how old you are. This is an audio oh, I medium, just, uh, so people won't. I just turned 61 in March. Oh, dang. Happy birthday. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I got hurt when I was 38. So, that'll give you a gotcha. frame. 38. It's about 23 hmm. years. Twenty. Yeah, 23 years now. It'll be 23 years this September. So what was the rehab process like that back then? Because I got injured in 2014. I should clarify for people listening. Howard and I both have spinal cord injuries. They're very different, but we have this, like I'm a C5, so I broke my neck. Howard is what, T8? Is that right? Yeah, I'm a T8, but I actually broke C5 too, but I was lucky because um, I didn't have, other than having uh, that vertebrae fused um, and kind of a stiff neck every once in a while. Um, I didn't have any impairment from that one. T8's the one that got me. Gotcha. So that means um, his spinal cord injury is like much lower than mine. So whereas I'm quadriplegic, Howard's paraplegic. Um, so what was the rehab process like back then? I mean, was it, um, I imagine things have come a long way. Well, I was at MCB and I, uh, you know, it, it was just a, and of course I was in a halo. I don't know. Were you in a halo too? Or uh, no, just a collar, no halo. No, I had the halo on. So uh, my process was pretty slow at first, just because of the cumbersome halo. And then I also had, 
I was hit by a car riding a bicycle. So I had broken ribs, broken nose, broken arm, broken leg. So I was pretty, uh, I was pretty messed up. <laughs> so right. I had so a slow that happens sometimes. Pardon? Yeah. Like a lot of times when people have a lot of, I was in a different boat where I kind of, it was like almost just my spinal cord injury was like kind of the only thing going on. So I kind of got to jump into some of the rehab stuff, I think faster than a lot of other folks who, like you were saying, have a lot of other broken bones and other like internal injuries and stuff that they're trying to just get well before they can start the more what we think of in the rehab process of as in terms of like get it becoming independent again and yeah. you know learning how to take care of your daily basic needs and stuff like that. Yeah, because even though I didn't have any impairment in my arms, I was uh, I was in uh, the bed so long that I could barely lift a five pound weight with my with my arms. I, when we really? started re- rehab, so it was like Jeez. starting all over. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, outside of um, sportable, you have like what I think is like a really interesting hobby. And I was like, as soon as you said you would do the podcast, I was like, well, I'm going to ask Howard about pottery. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your um, pottery hobby. And have you been able, while we're recording this, we are still very much under uh, sort of like quarantine times. Have you been able to do pottery under quarantine? No, it, um, uh, it got, it got uh, shut down, but here I'll, gra- I'll grab a bowl real quick. I can show you what. <laughs> yeah, please do. I'm going to have to describe it because People won't be able to see, but I will describe it quite well. Um, Howard and I row together, and Howard is always like, oh, I can't come this night because I've got pottery class. And I'm always like, man, I love that this dude does right. pottery. Uh, this is one of the bowls I've made. Um, oh, that's beautiful. Sort of like a, and black like a real on the dark, other. rich blue on one side, and then it's like, I guess, and black on the other side, and it's like it's – been dipped in well, some kind it's of glaze. Like lacquer or something? It's or uh, glaze. Like mm-hmm. So um, glaze is actually uh, ground up glass, and then uh, it's kind of in a paste. And uh, when you put it on the pottery, um, it has no color to it. So you never know what you're getting until after it's fired. So it's always a surprise, yeah. Really? So that like really strong stripe well, in the middle there? Uh, like, yeah, just because like of that? dipping it into different glazes is what happened there. Um, so I knew there oh, would be uh, okay. a point okay. where, um, where, uh, where it would have different colors, but you don't, you don't know what the colors. It's always a surprise when you go to get something out that's been fired in the kiln. Sure, sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I would love to do something like that. It's uh, quad hands. I don't know how well it would work, but I'm sure there's a way. There's always a way with adaptive stuff. There's always, you just got to find the right people and the yeah. right equipment, and you can do pretty much anything you want, usually. Um, well, but what, what are you doing? Um, are you working from home? Are you going into the office? Uh, actually, I'm working from home. Bored? And, uh, you know, uh, in ways it's, it's good. And in ways it's bad. It's good. in the fact that, uh, I usually can sleep an extra hour in the morning as opposed to getting up and driving to work. But then the bad thing is, um, 
I'm working in my uh, in the dining room here. So every time I go by there, it's like, oh, there's work. <laughs> so it's like it, it, there's no break from it now. Right. Totally. Yeah, that's I, I feel you on that. That's rough. And because that's good that you're so you've had plenty of projects to keep you busy and stuff like that. A few of my folks, like friends who work in corporate environments, it's like they are working from home, but like it's just hit a point where like, what, yeah. what is there to do sort of, you know? Um, well, have you been able to stay active at all? Um, are you doing any, like, I've been going workouts out, or anything uh, like that? mainly on the weekends, uh, riding my bike. Um, so that's pretty much the extent of what I've been doing as far as activities. Um, so trying to, trying to do something. That's cool. Yeah, same, same, for sure. Um, I've been just getting in my rugby chair and going and pushing around the neighborhood, which is, it's like my one respite, like my, you know, I'm a big, big into exercise in terms of like, helping me with like my mental health and stuff. And so I've been trying to push like four times a week or so, um, just to, you know, helps me sleep, helps me take my mind off things and all that. And I think we all need stuff to take our mind off of things. I agree. Um, so I feel like we should talk about Sportable. So tell me about when you first like heard about Sportable, when you first joined um, Sportable, how did that all happen? I was, uh, I belonged to, at the time, the, there was a group in town called Spinal Cord Injury, um, Association. And, um, uh, through them, uh, one of my friends there sent me an email saying, Hey, there's going to be a, a rowing uh, demonstration at the boathouse. And uh, so I went down to that and that was my first introduction to sportables because I didn't know about sportables. And I think that was in 2010. And um, I guess you'd say I'm a charter member of the rowing cause I've been involved in rowing ever since then. Um, so yeah, was Mark, that, was, was it Mark, Mark doing was that? coaching, um, but Kristen was, was like I mean, outfit? Kristen had, uh, Kristen Lessing had, uh, had organized it. And, uh, it was, uh, I think there were at the, at the demonstration, there were three people. And, uh, then for the first, uh, I don't know, probably three or four years, it was just three of us who were in the rowing program. It was me, John Paramore and, uh, Ashley Nussbaum. And that was it. Dang. And just for folks who don't know, Kristen Lessig is Sportable's founder and was the executive director for, I guess, the first 10 years. Yeah, I, I didn't know when so Sportable was actually until Hunter Lee went to go for his Did it start back in 2008 or something? Oh, five. Okay. Five. Yeah, we're actually coming up on the 15th anniversary this uh, in in May, 2020 is the fifth. So, um, the fifth yeah, so I, I'm wow. pretty sure it was 2010 when I got involved. And even in 2010, um, there were athletes, but there weren't a lot still. There weren't that many. Right. Yeah. Right. Not like it is now. Um, so did you just start doing well at the time there were, there weren't else? that many programs. Um, it was rowing. I think there was basketball. 
and uh, there was kayaking at the time. And that's all the programs I was aware of. There might have been a few more. And then uh, it was like two years later, um, and tennis. And tennis was the second program I got involved in. Um, and then road racing started. So I guess I'm a charter member of the road racing uh, program too, because uh, I think that started about 2012. So was that when you first started getting into like pusher yeah, racing yeah. and pushing? Yeah, the uh, Kristen said that where like uh, we did the uh, the only race we did at that time was the Monument 10K. Um, so we had, I think the first year we had like six athletes do the Monument 10K. Oh yeah, it's a good number, especially yeah. for the first year. Really, six is a lot. Yeah, we were all using uh, sportable chairs, too, because so, um, nobody had a chair at the time because nobody had done road racing before, had their own chair. Right. So tell. So when, when did you first get your own hand cycle? When did you first get your own uh, um, push I think chair? after the first year, after, after the first uh, Monument 10K, and then I got my own chair after that. Yes. Yeah. Is that the same one you use now? Oh, love that. <laughs> Thing's got some miles on it then, I bet. Ten, uh, yeah, it probably yeah, is. Old? Excellent. So, I don't know. And same with your bike, right? You got like a – your yeah, bike could almost be My hand cycle is point. actually your almost as, as old as I've been injured because that, was the, uh, that was the first piece of uh, equipment, sporting equipment I bought. And I bought that. On my own, just uh, uh, just to get out and do stuff. So you were you were doing yeah, hand cycling exactly. before before you even knew about sportable, basically. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, do you have any? I don't know. This is all, I always like try to throw people on the spot with this question, and it's not. You don't have to say something specific, but do you have like a favorite sportable memory? Or anything that you like a story that you could you know, kind of think of. Oh, yeah. It's okay if it's more general. Um, not so specific, actually, it goes uh, to when I first started road racing. Um, at, we, we we trained out at uh, when we first started. We trained out at Sportsbacker Stadium, and uh, I actually fell out the racing wheelchair, or actually my feet fell off the feet pad, the the foot holder, and uh, when it did, it threw me into the frame of the, the racing wheelchair. It actually busted, I busted my lip and right, uh, so I had to get about 50 stitches in my lip. It was uh, it was pretty, it was pretty intense the way it had, uh, my teeth had cut my lip. Um, so they did stitches on the outside and on the inside. Wow, well, I've never even noticed a scar, yeah, so I, I was guess they did a pretty good job. That did it, but uh, um, yeah, as far as uh, yeah, that's I, that that sticks out as <laughs> my biggest memory. Yeah. I can imagine and it then, would be a pretty uh, the whole thing, big memory. Uh, it freaked Kristen, <laughs> Kristen out because she was like, "Oh my gosh!" Because I guess I was her first, uh, her first. Uh, 
injury. Uh, and then uh, there was a volunteer, Nicole, who actually went and worked. I don't know Nicole's last name, but she went and worked at the VA for a while. So she ended up driving me to the hospital to, to get the stitches. So um, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty wild. That actually brings up an interesting thing that I get asked a lot. Um, as like the volunteer and outreach coordinator was portable, people like, it's always like, well, what if they get hurt? Like, aren't they going to get hurt? And I'm, I'm always just kind of like, yeah, I mean, sports are kind of dangerous. Like you, people get hurt playing sports. It's just kind of a part of it. Um, there's not, I, I don't think we're at any, I think like adaptive sports, generally and and sportable as well take a lot of extra precautions to try to keep people as safe as possible but i mean you know in a pushroom chair you're clocking like what 15 miles an hour uh probably at, so. at least probably I, I even if you weren't so, even clocking that that fast you know just uh you could still fall out but i mean um i i, I remember uh we were doing a race uh, at VCU when, one year and, uh, uh, Bill, I can't think of Bill's last name. Um, but he tipped over backwards. I mean, stuff like that happened. Well, those chairs are insanely yeah. topsy-turvy, like in terms of flipping out backwards. The, there's really nothing to support you from, from flipping that as opposed to like, the rugby chair right. or a basketball chair, they have anti-tippers in the back. The pushroom chairs for, for running and, and um, doing marathons and no. stuff have nothing in the back to prevent you from flipping over because typically you're you're almost like – the way you sit in them, you're basically laying your torso right. on top of your legs, like on your knees, so that you can push right. down instead of forward right. because you're able to engage more of your back muscles and stronger push. Um. Well, you, you mentioned a couple of volunteers. Are there any volunteers that you found have been like, uh, I don't know, exemplary or fun to be uh, around? You know, really I've enjoyed all like of them. And I, I've been there so long. There have been so many volunteers that I've seen come and go. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, all of these people, they, you know, they, they donate their time to help us out. And it's like, man, what can you say about that? I know, especially um, rowing has always been a sport that I've been so impressed with the level of dedication and like, I, not thankless, but with a lot of our other programs, volunteers have an opportunity to, you know, ride bikes with us if it's, if it's um, cycling practice, like they can actually get on their personal bike and ride with an athlete. Or if you come to like a team sport, say uh, like rugby practice or basketball practice, a lot of the able-bodied volunteers have an right. opportunity to jump in chairs and play sometimes. Um, but I mean, rowing, you know, the volunteers, they lug these massive heavy boats out of this uh, boathouse, down to the river. They pick us up. They put us in the boats. Not us. Howard transfers himself, but I get picked up and put in the boat. Um, and then we get to go out and enjoy rowing on the water, and then they basically, like, hang out on the dock. I mean, it's... I, like, I can't stress how much I appreciate the work that the volunteers uh, yeah. that program yeah. do for us it's really awesome i mean I, mark was involved with rowing from its start up until what two years last year yeah it was last year 
I mean, yeah. So tell us about Mark. They probably well, don't know um, much about Mark. Mark used to work at VCU, and then uh, he took on and. Uh, at first, he was Kristen's assistant with the rowing program, but then he took it over. And uh, um, he had volunteers from the Virginia Boat Club a lot come and help out. But um, Mark ran that program for and probably, what, 10 years? Nine, 10 years. Yeah, close to it, for sure. And it was, I always loved. Uh, Mark's erging workouts. Erging is what we call like the rowing machines for those that you don't, those you guys that don't know. But I mean, sometimes we would. Come, I remember one time we came in and I think he said, "All right, so we're gonna do like a fifty-minute continuous row, like five-zero minute continuous row." Like that was the workout. It's just like my jaw just like hit the floor, you know. Like it's like this is what this is the plan you have. Like okay, great. But I, I don't know. I love that kind of exercise. Like yeah. really endurance like strenuous like really not i don't know about you but i found that that rowing and i mean honestly erging especially is some of the best cardio that i can get uh, as like, right. somebody that's like you know not able-bodied um have you done yeah i've done races uh, other than the 10k gosh probably about six half marathons now and um yeah, just a half set. Six, really? Um, I haven't I haven't jumped up to try a a, a full yet. Really? I don't know if I have that in me. So you? No, I haven't done that yet. Just because like, um, or anything to do them. Just because of the time commitment with work and everything. But um, now that if I if I retire this year, like I think I want to, uh, I'll probably try to start doing some out of state ones then. Sure. Boston could be yeah. cool. Everybody seems to want to do that one. Well, do you... Um, you don't have to answer this question like, I don't know. You can answer it however you want to. But it's one that I like to ask. Um, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase it differently, but I just can't think of it. So here we go. Uh, what does Sportable mean to you? Like, what's the impact been on you? Why do you think it's valuable? Why do you keep coming back um, year after year well you know um you always wonder when you get hurt uh you know once you're able-bodied and then you become disabled you're like what what can i do and uh sportable has opened up all these avenues that you know i didn't know about wheelchair tennis i didn't know about road racing um i had never uh, never kayaked before. I've done it now since I uh, joined Sportables. Uh, rowing, that was something else I never tried. Um, so I've actually, um, you know, as a disabled person, uh, ventured into areas I didn't do when I was able-bodied. Yeah, same, actually. I definitely never rowed um, before I was disabled, and I never did like long distance racing either. Actually, I was not very not into the idea of just like going one direction for a long time kind of thing. But I've really, particularly while I've been under quarantine, I've really enjoyed just like pushing like nine, 10, 11 miles. Just, you know, that like the mental processes that you have to kind of get into once you get past like 
yeah. five or six miles or so to kind of keep and you're going. Out, it's been, you know, like uh, when I go out and ride my bike on Saturdays, it's just nice to drive, ride through the neighborhood here and just look around. Totally, yeah. That's what I like the most about kayaking, honestly, is uh, yeah. what yeah, you're looking exactly. at when you're kayaking, you know what I mean? You've done our kayaking uh, program a lot. Water. Have you done the white water or just the flat water? What's your favorite like location that you've uh, done with us, or what's your favorite location? Actually, I think all of them are pretty really? cool. Um, just to just to know that these areas exist in an urban setting that you can get to, like around the pump house and going up the canal, um, or going down to the power plant down in uh, uh, Dutch Gap. Um, and just seeing all the birds that are around that place. Yeah, there's, there's... Yeah, and it's really cool, too, because um, our coach, Greg, with Chesterfield County, is, like, essentially like a, like a nature guide, too, in addition to being, like, a kayaking person and kayaking, like, instructor. He's able to tell you, like, these kind of birds habitat here, and they like this kind of plant, and the yeah. history of like the locations and stuff like that, which I personally find fascinating. Um, let me think. So we've talked about rowing, which you've done a lot. We've talked about road racing. Um, talked a little bit about kayaking. Is there any I other see. programs you've done um, with us? Uh, just tennis. I've done tennis. Yeah. Tennis. So how, like, tell me about tennis. Cause tennis is one that I don't really participate. You know, that in, so was I'm another really sport. I never played when I was able bodied cause I played racquetball then. Um, and racquetball is different in that, um, well, you're in a closed court and playing off of four walls and then it's all wrist action on racquetball. So tennis was a, a whole new, uh, game for me. Um, swinging with the arm and everything. Um, but it's amazing to see someone like uh, Bruce who doesn't have any legs and what he can do on the tennis court. That guy's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce is really, really good, for sure. Um, Did you ever get in any no, anything I'm like competitive? No, I'm kind of just just going out to enjoy playing. Um, not really... I haven't dedicated myself to being competitive at tennis yet. No, oh, I understand that. I um, I don't know. I, I I think that there's a misconception that there's a need to be competitive in in a sport, or there's a need to, you know, I don't know. I, I think whatever you do, whatever brings you joy, right. whatever makes you happy, that's yeah. what's like important. And about I mean, to me, it's me. like you were saying earlier, it's, it's really a big release. It's just something to do. That, and, uh, you know, it makes you feel part of things when you're out. Like, I'll, uh, although my wife will tell me I'm, I'm pretty competitive when it comes to doing the road races. Cause I get pretty antsy when they get up to the start line, ready to go. No, that's good. One thing that I, I, I've never done like a 10K or something like that, except just around my neighborhood. I've never done like a, a formal race. And one thing that I hear about doing them out of the chairs is that 
you have to have somebody with you to sort of like clear the path for you. Yeah, um, you like actually, the first time I did the Monument 10K, um, uh, this guy uh, who was actually just a runner, he wasn't a volunteer with Sportable or anything, he was just running the race. And uh, uh, on the downhills, you tend to get, you know, uphill. Obviously, you go slow. Downhill as you speed up. And uh, I was moving pretty good, and I kept running into people and having to slow down. So finally, he just started running in front of me, just going, wheelchair behind me, clear the way. So it was it was one of those type of things. Right. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, I experienced the exact same thing at a concert or a crowded bar. Like, people think... Uh, something you would never realize until you are using a wheelchair to get around is that if you're behind somebody and they can't see you and you tap them on the shoulder and say, excuse me, they assume that you need like enough room to get your body. If you turn your body sideways and like shuffle by them, but I'm in a 28 inch wide wheelchair, no matter which way you slice it. So it's like, excuse me, and then they move, and then, but it's not enough movement, and then you have to tap them again, like, hey, like, I'm sorry, like, excuse me again, and then they see, and they go, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. and then that gets you about two feet, and then you have to do that again, and then that gets you about another two feet, and you have to do that again. Yeah. It's quite a process. It makes <laughs> you really want to avoid crowds, to be honest. Um, well, I usually like to also ask people, because again, we're all kind of stuck at home. There is not much to do outside of work and hopefully getting up, getting some exercise um, when you're able to. But I mean, it's a great time to catch up on movies, TV shows, books, um, other kind. Of, I don't know, music. Is there anything you would recommend been, people I, check I out while they're binging on uh, Netflix home? a lot? So. <laughs> Uh, what's, watched, uh, what's the series uh, you're watching? Well, I'm, I'm in the car. So there was a series on Netflix called uh, Rust Valley Restorations. So I watched that series till the end. And then uh, there was a uh, series that was based on the old Lost in Space shows, but it's been updated. So um, I watched that series on Netflix. Um, and now I just started a, a series on Vikings invading England. Um, and uh, that one's called The Last Kingdom. So I'm, I'm in the middle of binge watching that one. <laughs> Actually, that's pretty good. How's that one? Is that's that, is pretty that... good because uh, it, like... it was produced by the BBC. Yeah. And I guess it's, they're trying, even though it's a, a made up story, they're trying to be historically accurate as possible. Sure. That's a really interesting sort of side effect, I think, of like the Netflix phenomenon, which is that people all over the world, you get an opportunity to watch shows that are produced in all these different countries where like even, I don't know, 10 years ago, it would have been very difficult to track down an English show or a like Japanese TV show that's just like a popular TV show in Japan would be hard to like watch um, and now all of a sudden that stuff is just the same 
click away as oh, yeah. anything produced in yeah. America that's kind of mass produced for us kind of thing. Well, you mentioned something that I wanted to talk about. You said you're a car person. Uh, well, I have a Tell us about Corvette. Um, I've had it since 2006. Um, and I always wanted a Corvette before I got hurt. And then I got hurt and I thought, oh, I don't know. I guess that dream, that's uh, something I, I can't acquire now because of being in a wheelchair. But then uh, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go to a dealer and see if I can get in a Corvette. And if I can get in a Corvette, I'm going to buy a Corvette. So I made, uh, I didn't want to put my wheelchair in it. So I made a, I took a cardboard box and cut it up to the size that my wheelchair was folded up. And uh, I went to a dealer and he, when I first showed up, he's like, uh, he was pretty skeptical. He's kind of had the attitude, you're, you're in a wheelchair. What are you going, how can you use this car? So I got in the car and uh, he allowed me to take my cardboard wheelchair and put it in the car. And uh, it went in and I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm buying a, a Corvette. So I bought the Corvette and uh, when I came home and told my wife I bought a Corvette, she didn't believe me at first. And I'm like, well, you're going to find out in about a month when it's here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. And you've had the same since one since, right? Yeah, and, I, and I've seen you drive it to practice, and it's like pristine. Like it looks fresh. Like it looks like it just came off the lot. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's you take kind really of good um, care of it. It's, it's, I, I guess it's uh, pride, my pride and joy in the garage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, well, cool. That is pretty much all I've got for you um, unless you have any like final thoughts or anything but um, I, um, otherwise I'll only sort of thought is I'm, I'm waiting for this to, uh, all to pass so we can get back to it get back involved I know man it's yeah it's um, it's a long it's just been such a long time and it's just the thing that's always that's gotten about me about it the whole time is like the indefiniteness uh, like I, I don't think i really knew what the word indefinite exactly meant which is that like you don't really know when it's going to end it just probably right. will end sometime oh yeah and that's just yeah there's no hard. set date and you're like well maybe in two weeks and two weeks comes and it's, you're still sitting here so hopefully soon though yeah yeah hopefully soon who knows what that well means, it's optimistic hopefully soon yeah, that's right. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the Sportable Podcast. Um, I hope you all enjoyed yourselves. I hope you are – this will be coming out sometime in May, maybe early June. It depends. Um, so hopefully you are still staying safe and sane, um, whatever that looks like at that time. Hopefully it is different than now, but if it's not, you know, the important thing is that we're all safe. Um, you know, Sportable is a nonprofit, just like it always has been. If you want to drop us a donation, you can do that at sportable.org. Otherwise, please like and subscribe because that's what they always say at the end of podcasts. And this is the end of a podcast. And I'm just assuming that that's what I'm supposed to do. So please like and subscribe. Um, and otherwise, Howard, thanks a lot, man. And I will um, talk to you later. All right. See you, Josh.
Dibbity 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 dibb